You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, Carlisle. In Ecclesiastes, we discover that a life spent in pursuit of pleasure, achievement, and control will ultimately leave us empty-handed. Life isn't about what we can obtain, but about what we already have, and learning to receive it from God with gratitude. Welcome to Ecclesiastes, life as gift, not gain. Morning. Uh, my name is Nick Wirens. I serve as the associate pastor here at Sojourn Church Carlisle. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, we're glad that we you are here to worship with us. If you're new here um, or want more information about how to get plugged into the life of our church, there are these connect cards, probably strewn about um, in nice, neaty form and or neat form uh, in the pew backs in front of you. So you can fill one of those out and drop it in the giving bucket on the way out. We'd love to know how we can serve you and come alongside you. Um, If this is your first time joining us, or if you were not here last week, um, we actually started a new sermon series in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, Our sermon series title is Life as Gift, Not Gain. Life as Gift, Not Gain. And over the next 12 weeks, what we're going to be doing is walking through the book of Ecclesiastes on Sunday mornings as a church um, if you're not familiar with the book at all, uh, King Solomon um, is, uh, by, by tradition, counted as the author of Ecclesiastes, and he's on this journey trying to figure out what is all this for? What is life about? What is the point? He's somewhat of a, a scientist, if you will. He, he puts out a hypothesis. He pursues that hypothesis until it says yes or no. He's experimenting, trying different things, trying to figure out what is the point of it all. The text we find us in today, um, last week we looked at verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Today we're looking at uh, chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. But just before that, we saw a little bit of, of Solomon's testing, and I don't want to talk too much about it because we're going to see he'll revisit those things in the future. But in verse 1 through 3 of chapter 2, he tells us that he's tried all the pleasures of the world, laughter, um, pleasure, wine. He said those things are meaningless. In verse 4 through 11, he tells us that he even tried possessions, the possessions that this, the physical things this world has to offer, like achievements or big houses or beautiful landscaping or lots of household co-workers or a, a big farm, if you will. A lot, think tons of material possessions, silver, gold, entertainers, many girlfriends. Like he tried all those things. It's, he says at one point that all his eyes desired, he tried. Everything he wanted as the king, he tried it out. But his conclusion is that those things are also meaningless, futile, vanity, some translations read. Now in our text today, Solomon turns his attention yet again to look at wisdom, to see if wisdom is where the meaning of life is found. Before we look at his conclusions and where he lands, let me pray for us as we open God's word together. Father, we do thank you for the gift that it is to gather with your saints, that together we can be here. And as it says in Colossians, we can sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts towards Christ Jesus. We thank you too that we can sit under the teaching of your word. God, we admit that uh, the book of Ecclesiastes at times is, is hard to understand. It's hard to grasp. 
And so we, we need your spirit to fill us, to illuminate our, our hearts and our minds, to help us to understand what Solomon is trying to teach us. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do just that this morning, that you would help us to receive your word and then live it out as we apply it to our everyday lives. So we pray that you would bless our time and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Solomon, he, he already in, in chapter two, he's given a run at wisdom. You know, he kind of, it's like you're looking for something in your house. You like look where it's supposed to be and then you go look everywhere else and then you return back to where it's supposed to be and then it's there somehow miraculously. Like your wife probably hid it for a little bit and then put it back, right? Solomon's going back to look at wisdom again. He's checked there once, but he wants to look again and see, okay, well, maybe this is where the meaning of life is found. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them. Um, There should be some in the pew backs. If not, you can follow along with me on the screen. Verse 12, he says, Then I turned to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will the king's successor be like? He will do what has already been done. So the, the original language here, it, it's, it's a little harder to translate, but, but really Solomon is considering not wisdom, madness, and folly. He's considering wisdom and then lumping madness and folly together. We can see he did that earlier in, in chapter one. Okay, so it's, he's looking at wisdom and then mad folly, like really, really silly stuff, like really folly, uh, folly laden, if you will. So those two words go together. He's, reconsi- he's reconsidering wisdom to see if it is actually beneficial. Honestly, I've had a really hard time wrestling with this passage, right? We, we, we know Solomon through scripture. It says he's the wisest man in the world. I was just reading, uh, we, we've been doing a reading plan as a church a couple weeks ago, 1 Kings 3. Solomon asks God to give him wisdom. And then God, it said that God was pleased that he prayed that and asked for wisdom. But then we get to this text and really Solomon's kind of looking down his nose at wisdom. He's telling us, well, Maybe it's not that, all that cracked up as it is made out to be. But as we look at Ecclesiastes, there's, there's two things that we need to remember. Ecclesiastes, like any piece of literature, needs to be read in totality, right? Like we have this thing where we're, we're preaching through text, so we break them up in nice, neat little chunks. And so we take these little sound bites or, or hot takes, if you will, and then look at them. But it's taken in the whole context of the book. So we need to remember that as we study it. So later in Ecclesiastes, we'll see, we'll see that Solomon comes back around and gives a little bit new, of nuance to what he's saying. But then there's also, I think, warrants to a distinction between earthly wisdom, the pursuit of earthly wisdom, and the pursuit of heavenly wisdom or wisdom from God. Solomon, if you've read Ecclesiastes before, even if you haven't, he uses this phrase, under the sun, repeatedly, over and over again. We'll see next week when he talks about work. He says, I labored under the sun, labored under the sun, labored under the sun. He talks about all his possessions, things under the sun. He's talking about earthly things. If you have been joining us for uh, the equipping class in the book of James, you've probably seen this distinction that there is earthly wisdom that is meaningless and futile, but there is heavenly wisdom. So I do think there's a bit of a distinction that Solomon's making here. So it doesn't mean if you walk away and you're like, well, wisdom is meaningless, is Solomon's conclusion. We're not walking away from this and saying, well, see a Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes. Uh, I'll just, whatever, read the New Testament and be good, right? No, there's, there's heavenly wisdom and there's earthly wisdom. But Solomon has recognized, right, that earthly wisdom is futile. But there is some advantage to it. If you look at verse 13 with me, it says, and I realize that there is an advantage to wisdom over folly, like the advantage of light over darkness. 
So he is saying that, that even earthly wisdom, wisdom found outside of God and his revelation has some advantage over folly, right? There is advantage in the earthly wisdom to not eat three Big Macs a day. That is good earthly wisdom, right? Even that has some advantage over folly. There's wisdom to not smoking one pack of cigarettes a day. That's earthly wisdom. That doesn't, that's not in Second Hesitations 4, okay? That's earthly wisdom, right? But there's advantage to that. Solomon says that this advantage, even to earthly wisdom, is, is like light over darkness. If you look at verse 14, he's, he's quoting what uh, many perceive to be a proverb of his day. He says, the wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. So wisdom doesn't just have a, a small advantage over folly. It's the advantage of trying to walk while having eyeballs or walk without having eyeballs, is what he's saying. Have you ever, have anyone ever tried to walk in your house, like in complete darkness? You know, it's like, it's kind of doable. Audrey's done it. It's kind of doable, right? You can kind of bump around. You know where stuff is. Now, have you tried to walk through a dark house with kids? Anyone? <laughs> it's a lot less doable, right? There's landmines all over the ground, the matchbox cars, the, the, the balls, the Legos, has anyone stepped on a Lego in the dark, right? Uh, up here, I think I have a, a rare photo of a shark stepping on a Lego. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah, I don't use memes often, but when I do, five-year-old memes are where it's at. Um, so the wise person, right? The wise person walks around, even earthly wisdom, right? The wise person walks around like they have eyeballs in their head. The, the, the folly, the person filled with folly, though, with madness, is walking around just smoking their feet on Legos in the dark, right? There is an advantage to wisdom over folly. There's two things that Solomon recognizes here, right? But he goes on. He says, I, I also know the fate that will come to both of them. So wisdom has an advantage, certainly. But at the end of the day, one thing will befall both the wise and the fool. Now, there, there's two things that are certain in life, right? But we know Solomon isn't talking about taxes here because he's the king. He receives the taxes. The fact that both the wise and the unwise that, that, that he is talking about, that he realized the fate of both of them is death. Verse 15, it says, So I said to myself, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I, why have I been overly wise? And I said to myself, that is also futile. For just like the fool, there is no lasting remembrance of the wise, since in the days to come, both will be forgotten. How is it that the wise person dies just like the fool? You don't see that verse on Instagram often. So the, the thing that happens to the wisest man to ever live happens to the most foolish person that ever lives. The best and the worst, the greatest and the least, both experience the same fate, death. Both Adolf Hitler and Mother Teresa, both are dead. Both Fidel Castro and Martin Luther King Jr., both are dead. 
The wise and the fool both die. Welcome to church. And to this, Solomon throws up his hands and he said, what, what is the point then? Why, why am I trying? Why am I being overly wise, like doing all these good things, learning all these things, if in the end, I'm no better than the fool? He goes on in verse 17, he says, Therefore, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me, for everything is futile in a pursuit of the wind. Meaningless, meaningless. It's all meaningless. If we're all going to die, what's the point? (laughs) Why pursue anything? Why work hard? Why have fun? Why laugh? Why have nice things? Solomon's tried them all, and he said they're all meaningless. He even says that wisdom is silly to pursue because in the end, he'll just die, and nobody will remember him. This idea, though, as depressing as it may seem to us, this is not far off from other scriptural truths that we see in different places. If you look at Psalm 49.10, it says, For one can see that the wise die. This isn't new. It says the foolish and stupid also pass away. The, the idea is so hard for us to grasp because like, like Solomon, we equate goodness, righteousness, wisdom. We equate those things with deserving to live longer. We have such a transactional view in our, in our culture and in our understanding. So if we do good things, if we're wise, like if we try and live right, then we deserve to have longer life. Surely if we pursue God's wisdom, if we follow God's path, then he ought to give us more time on this earth, right? He owes us. But you see, that's precisely the point that, that Solomon is trying to make all throughout Ecclesiastes. He says, the things under the sun are not the ultimate things. And he goes on to say that looking at death reminds us of that. Gazing upon death, Solomon says, has a way of of reorienting our lives towards the things that matter. He picks up on this later in Ecclesiastes 7, verses 2 through 4. Look at what he says. This is the man who is the wisest person ever to have lived. It says, better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies. So the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death. While a fool thinks only about having a good time. It's like, what are you even talking about, Solomon? I hate funerals. I don't want to think about death. Yet there's something in death that he says it's wise to think about. Look, our our relationship culturally to death is, is a very interesting thing. 
This, this year, I've, I've faced more death than I ever have in my entire life in the last 15 months. There, there's the overwhelming reality, right, that almost 600,000 Americans have died of COVID-19. That's overwhelming. Death right in your face. Getting a little closer, I've performed five funerals since March. I've been to seven. And over the last 15 months, it's, it's gotten closer and closer to me, death has. In January, Sarah's, my wife, her closest grandmother died. In April, my stepfather who raised me died. Just yesterday, I found out our, our family dog who had been around for 13 years died. Like death has inched its way closer to me over the last 15 months, more so than ever in my life. And the weird thing is that it still feels so far. I know all you are going to die, but I'm not. (laughs) Death is out there, but it's not right here. Just this week, I I actually, I read an article that proved I wasn't crazy, that you all feel the same way, right? That death is up here (laughs) and it's not out there, right? There was a study done by some researchers in Israel that showed that there's something like actually biological that happens in our body that when we are confronted with death, our, the predictive area of our brain shuts down. So what happens is we think we see death as a reality out there, but then as it comes to our brains to say like, oh yeah, I might die too, your prediction part of your brain shuts down. It says, well, that's not going to happen to me. <laughs> Here's what one of the scientists said about their study. He said, in the not-so-distant past... Our brain's defenses against thoughts of death were balanced out by the the reality of death around us. Today, the the scientists believe society is more death-phobic with sick people combined to hospitals and elderly people to care homes. As a result, he suspects people know far less about the end of life and perhaps come to fear it more. Deep down, we don't like to think about death because we fear it. And I I think we're afraid of it because we're afraid of losing all the stuff under the sun. But you see, that's exactly the point that King King Solomon is making all throughout his book. He's saying everything under the sun is meaningless. It's futile, it's vanity, if it has become the end-all be-all for you. All this stuff goes away. Your job will fade away. Your stuff will rot. (laughs) Just had my transmission go out, right? Rest in peace, Explorer. All this stuff goes away. Even good things. We'll all be gone at some point. We, we are all going to die. I know your predictive brain just shut down, but we are all going to die. Whether you're wise or foolish, the same fate befalls you. But because death has a, has a way of reorienting our lives, it, it has a way of bringing into focus the things that are important. You know, I, somehow I've taught or had two sermons on death in eight weeks, which is great, you know, love it. It's a cultural thing too, right? The movie, The Bucket List, 
Uh, we see Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson like doing all these crazy stuff. They're reorient, reorienting their lives or Tim McGraw's Live Like You Were Dying, right? I'm not going to sing it again, but skydiving, Rocky Mountain climbing, 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And he loved deeper and spoke sweeter. And he watched an eagle as it was flying. Death reorients us. That's an interesting reorientation, but if that's what you want to do at the end of your life, so be it. If we realize our our time is limited, when we think about death, it makes us think about that. If we realize our time is limited, it has a way of reorienting everything for us. So knowing that death is imminent, it changes the way we look at life. It, It really does help us to prioritize the most important things. In light of Solomon's realization, you know, I, I, again, if your predictive brain is shutting down, I can't make you think about death, but if the wise person thinks about death, here's a couple things for you to consider as you think about death. The first question is, what are you ultimately living for? What are you ultimately living for? King Solomon's entire critique is that everything under the sun is meaningless. If it's pursued as an end in itself, Why is that so? It's because possessions were not created to be your God. Your job was not created to be your God. Sensuality was not created to be your God. Wine and strong drink were not created to be your God. Even good things. The church was not created to be your God. Your kids were not created to be your God. Your parents were not created to be your God. Everything under the sun if it is put in the place of the ultimate thing, is meaningless and futile. This is the the exact same thing that Jesus is saying, right? This isn't isn't new news to you. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 6, right? He says, don't be fixated on the things of earth that can cause you to panic or worry or have anxiety. In fact, he actually mentioned Solomon in this passage, which is crazy. Matthew 6, 28 through 33 says, and why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these little flowers. If that's how God closes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be provided for you. The things of earth are what you've built your life around. You will get crushed. Because as Solomon says, chasing after anything under the sun as an end is meaningless. It's like grasping at the smoke or the mist or a vapor you reach out to grasp it, we'll leave you. Earlier in Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. That's what Solomon's saying. The things under the sun, they fade. Moth and rust will destroy them. They're like a vapor, a mist, a puff of smoke. 
Again, Ecclesiastes 7.4, a wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. Look, if you, if you look at your, your dying, you're naturally going to have to look at how you're living. If you face your death, you're going to have to face your life and the things of your life. Facing that which you're losing helps you face how you're relating to those things. The whole point of Solomon's argument is that if you put anything under the sun, anything of earth in the place of God, it will let you down. Life will seem meaningless to you because life is passing away. Your job, your stuff, TikTok, the 8,000th office episode, even your family. If those things are ultimate things for you, life will seem meaningless because those things will leave you. So first, what are you ultimately living for? And second, what are, you, what are you passing along that lasts? If you look at verse 16, Solomon says, for just like the fool, there's no lasting remembrance of the wise. Since in the days to come, both will be forgotten. Let me ask you, do, do any of you know who Jacob Davis is? No, no Jacob Davis people. He's not like some dude that went to to sales or something, but uh, Gideon Sunback. Anyone know Gideon Sunback? No? Okay. Um, Jacob Davis created uh, this really versatile article of clothing to be worn by gold miners in the gold rush that we now know as blue jeans. You think it was Levi Strauss, but really Jacob Davis invented it and Strauss had the money to get the patent. So he was like, hey, can we do this together? But it's Jacob Davis. Gideon's son back, he created this amazing pro, uh, product that helped join pieces of fabric together using metal clasps. <laughs> so if any of you is wearing a zipper, you can thank Gideon's son back. Look, the, these men, they have inventions that impact our everyday lives. I love y'all, but none of y'all are going to create the zipper-like product, okay? I'm not going to create jeans, Okay. These inventions impact everyday life for us, yet none of us know who these people are. Sure, we can look up facts about them, but for all intents and purposes, they're forgotten. (laughs) There's no remembrance of them. The reality is is the same, is true for us. Like I've never met my great grandparents. So for me, they're just names in a genealogy book. Look, I, uh, I love baseball. It was like my first, my first sports love growing up. Um, for Easter this year, we got my oldest boy, James. We got him some toy baseball gear, bat, ball, tee, got him some bases, working on, working on the form. He cannot catch to save his life. So um, if you see bruises on his face, it's from the baseball and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> So that same week that we, uh, the same week that we got on the, um, the baseball stuff, we, we went back to, to Dallas to, to visit family and went to a Rangers game. And I mean, he was just blown away. Like he literally, his, I don't think he blinked the whole game. Um, he was just fascinated with it. Um, and now he's obsessed with baseball. Like he loves baseball. 
And honestly, I love that he loves it, right? It's so much fun. Like every day, as tired as I am, I say, Dad, can we play baseball? It's like, yes, son, we can play baseball. But you know what? Um, as I've thought about baseball, right? The silliness of baseball. I don't, I, don't want, I don't want baseball to be the most important thing that my son learns from me. Because baseball is ultimately meaningless, right? Amen from my Reds fans, right? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. No. Rangers are worse, so that's fine. Look, so there's this idea, I hear it all the time, or maybe it's just my experience, of like leaving a legacy, which leaving a legacy is cool and all, but like what, what is the legacy that you're leaving? Like sharing baseball with my son is fun. It brings great joy, but that's going to go away, right? If he plays, like his body will, will fade away, right? Or if he loves a team, right? They're, they're going to let him down all the time. It's futile. So I just want to ask you, like, what are you leaving behind you? <laughs> what are you passing along to your children, to your roommates, to your coworkers? Are you passing along things that are futile? <laughs> like a house, a money, a wisdom about how to fix pipes or something? I don't, I don't know. Like, are you passing along things that are futile? The only thing that will be remembered in all eternity, and this is actually a freeing thing, is not you, but Christ and the things of the Lord. Those are the things that will last as they have. As depressing as it is, Solomon is right. (laughs) If earthly wisdom, the things of this earth are all that we pursue, it's just another thing under the sun that that we try to make an ultimate thing that passes away and goes away. And then our lives will simply end in death. A depressing finality to all that we know and loved and pinned our hopes on. 1 Corinthians 1, 19 through 20, God says, I, God, will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? Everything under the sun is futile (laughs) if it's not in its proper place, including wisdom. Why? Why? Paul goes on, he says in verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 1, for since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom. God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. It's to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. If we believe Solomon when he says that a wise person thinks about death, it allows us to think about these hard questions that come up in this text and not run away from them. It allows us to ask, what am I ultimately living for? 
What am I passing along that will last? Church, if the answer is Christ to both these questions, then the meaninglessness that we may feel in Ecclesiastes is actually replaced with purpose. The despair of all the futility that Solomon talks about is replaced with hope. The grief of all these things letting us down is replaced with joy. The pain of seeing our futile stuff pass away is replaced with healing. You see, church, it's only through Christ who is the wisdom of God that we can experience purpose, hope, joy, and much more, that we won't have to face the meaninglessness ultimately of this life. It helps us put everything under the sun in its proper place, which helps everything under the sun move from being meaningless to purposeful. See, even even in the death of Christ, as we look at a, a man hung up for us, if we don't know that that's not the end, we would look at that and say, meaningless, meaningless. Like the mockers and scoffers at the Christ, we would look at him and say, what is he doing? But we know, because we've seen on the other side, that Christ's death is not meaningless. (laughs) And it's only in and through that that we can look at Ecclesiastes and all the depressing aspects of it and say, yes, you're right, Solomon. Everything under the sun is meaningless and futile. But praise be to God that that's not the end for us. Church, every week when we gather together, we, we take a meal together called communion that reminds us of this reality. It forces us to look at the death of Christ and say, thank you, Jesus. Everything is not meaningless because of your work on my behalf. My job didn't save me. My house didn't save me. My earthly wisdom didn't save me. My kids didn't save me. My parents didn't save me. Jesus, your work is what saved me. If you want to partake in this meal, this meal is reserved for Christians. You can find an individual communion cup in the pew back in front of you. We take this, again, like I said, every every week we take this together to remind us of the work that Christ has done on our behalf. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, gave it to his disciples, he blessed it, and then he broke it, and he said, take and eat. This is my body. Let us take and eat the bread together. On that same night, as Jesus was at that meal with his disciples, he then took the cup. He said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant. It's sealed by the shedding of my blood. Let's take and drink this cup together. Paul tells us that as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we're pronouncing Christ's death until he returns. Let's pray. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, 
Visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.